One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Intercooler podcast is sponsored by JBR Capital, one of the UK's leading car finance specialists. Now, we only partner with like-minded organisations who really understand what it means to be a car enthusiast. And JBR Capital is a perfect fit for us. It's run by people who really love cars. And importantly, vehicle finance is all JBR Capital does. That alone is what the company exists to do. So whether you're looking to fund a classic sports car, supercar or hypercar, see what JBR Capital can do for you. And it's not just about very high-end, expensive unobtainium. In fact, the minimum borrowing is £25,000 and the average £80,000. Head to JBR Capital on social media or jbrcapital.com online and tell them the intercooler sent you. Right, let's get on with this week's podcast. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome to episode 93 of the podcast, everybody. Um, I think this one's going to be a fun one, Andrew, because we're talking about when motoring journalism goes wrong. Which it never, ever does. <laughs> of course. Of course not. So it's the, it's the run-ins with the law. It's the cars that have broken. It's maybe a bit of upsetting PR people and their bosses. And of course, the crashes. <laughs> yeah. So it's the stuff that you don't really get to hear about very often. Um, before we go any further, I should just address that I'm sitting somewhere else because I have moved house. Um, and so I'm in my new front living room, which I think is probably a bit echoey. We've got a wood floor down. And if you're watching this nice. on YouTube, uh, it does look smart, doesn't it? But if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see that we're missing a light fitting. There's a mirror that hasn't yet been fitted. So this is a temporary arrangement while my office is being, um, is being prepared. And I will make sure that the, the, the acoustics in there are really good. So this is just a temporary arrangement. But... Should we get on with this episode of the podcast then? Yeah, absolutely. Where do you want to start? I mean, it's, it would be very easy for this episode just to become about the crashes, wouldn't it? Because there are so many. And well, we, I mean, quite we, we could stories. just do... I was about to say, can I just do an episode on the cars I've crashed? Um, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> well, okay, if we include the cars that I crashed before I became a motoring journalist, then we certainly could. Um, but um, no, I think we, ha- I think we have to keep. I think we have to keep this within sort of professional boundaries. Um, okay. Well, I have a question actually before we go any further. Um, go on. Do all your stories involve a Frankel Esquire, or are you retelling some secondhand stories? 
Um, they all involve me directly or peripherally. Most of them involve me. Most of them beat me when I've just stuffed up, which is a fairly frequent occurrence. Um, depending on how long we go on for and whether we get around to them, there are a couple of things yeah, um, that I witnessed. <laughs> but I was a fairly well, close witness okay. to them. That's okay. Um, Fine. So, 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 okay. So, there's nothing secondhand going on here. Everything I, I, either happened to me or I saw. So, it's all uh, there's no there, there's absolutely no word of mouth here. So, everything I I, I I I say will be absolutely as it happened. Do you want to kick us off then? Um, where should we where should we start? Um, it's very difficult to say. I mean, should we start with um my first crash as a motoring journalist? Um, I think let's I might, have it. Okay, so I think I might have mentioned this before um, on the podcast. So if I have apologies, but it's it, it, this day has gone down uh, in motoring journalism folklore as Black Monday, uh, and it's the day when basically the entire auto car road test team crashed um, in basically the, exactly the same place, um, which has led people to believe ever since that we were having some kind of insane race at the time. But when you realise the cars that were involved, you realise we couldn't possibly have been racing because I, for instance, was in a 1.1 litre Mini Metro. Um, actually, Black Ice was to blame, hence Black Monday. Um, yeah, it was It was just one of those weird... I'd woken up, um, we were all going to Millbrook, or we had three cars to test, um, and I'd... Actually, with that 1.1 Metro, so this was the Gen 2 Metro with the K-Series engine and the 5-speed gearbox. It was actually a cracking little car. Um, so, the, you know, the very first of the K-Series cars. And um, we were going to go to Millbrook. I lived in London at the time. And I got in London, I got in the car. It didn't feel particularly cold. So, you know, I didn't really think about it. And I toddled off up the M1, as you do, Junction 12. Um, and you can either take the direct route from there to the test track, or you can do what we always do, which is there as a sort of a little-used, very fast side road, um, which we used, A, because it was fun, but also because it was, you know, if you were in a hurry and you needed to evaluate a car quite quickly, uh, it was probably as good a road as any you were going to get to go to, go down. And it was, you know, on the way to the test track. So um, I uh, I headed off down there and I literally turned into the first corner, which was a quick left, and the car did not respond in any way at all. <laughs> it did not deviate. One of those. <laughs> it was one of those. It was absolute arrow straight. Straight um, on. Off the road, across the ditch, through the hedge on the other side. Uh, this was about, it was probably about six in the morning. And it was January. So it was absolutely pitch black. Um, so I found myself in this field, um, wondering what the hell had just happened. Um, and I thought, well, I better try and drive around the field. This was at the time I hadn't sort of bothered to think how damaged the car was, which was pretty damaged um, on account of having been through a hedge. So I drove around the field uh, and eventually, using my headlights, found the hole that I'd made. Um, and I saw the ditch on the other side of it. And I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to get back, back across that. So I abandoned the car um, just as the temperature gauge went off the clock because, um, amongst an awful lot of things I managed to do to it, I managed to pop the radiator. Um, and as I got out of the car and went across the ditch, my first thought was, well, obviously it was black ice and I need to warn other road users. And there was this eerie sort of light coming from a bit further up the road, which was pulsating. I couldn't work out what it was because it was coming from below the road. It was sort of illuminating the road, but it was coming up from beneath it. Um, so I sort of slipped and skidded my way up to that, discovered 
a very familiar looking Renault 19 16 valve which we'd also meant to be testing which was down the ditch so far down the ditch the top of the side of the car was below the surface of the road um, and the lights were its hazard lights so I was a bit concerned by this I went scrabbling down to it um, tried to open the door but it had been locked but I kind of peered in and realized there wasn't anybody in it um, and my colleague James Thomas had actually commendably because he would have been going faster had actually managed to get around a bit more of the corner than I did <laughs> before he duly fell off the road but I think there must have been a tree or something on the other there, there, there was something which stopped him going in the field so he fell down the ditch instead um, so that was but there was no sign of him so there I was frantically flagging down traffic um, and he then appeared he, ever, he then appeared on a tractor because he'd gone off to get help and he found a local farmer um and then the third one actually wasn't really an accident uh mark harrop uh who was another road tester at the time an old dear friend of mine he was in a thing called the golf limited which if anybody remembers this it was the ultimate cue car so it looked it was a mark ii golf but it looked like a golf l because it didn't even have the four headlights it was five doors didn't even have the four headlight grill um no gti apparatus at all but it had at the time Volkswagen made a 16-valve engine or a supercharged engine. So you could get an 8-valve supercharged um, engine in something or other. can't remember what. Corrado? Don't know. Anyway, uh, or a 16-valve engine, which they put in the Golf. They only once made a supercharged 16-valve engine, and they stuck it into this thing called the Golf Limited. Um, and it had 215 horsepower, which to us was just... And is, at the time, this must have been 1990? Can't remember. Something like that. Um was a completely insane amount of power um but it also had four-wheel drive um absolutely amazing device never sold it in the uk it was left-hand drive only hideously expensive they made very very few um and if anybody knows where one is i'd love to have another going anyway because i guess he had four-wheel drive and because knowing mark he probably wasn't quite as stupid as james or me and therefore probably wasn't going quite as fast he actually made it quite a lot of the way around the corner before he completely lost control um by that stage there was an enormous bank he could drive up and we could see the tire marks that went all the way arc it was, it was like he was sort of going around the brooklyn's banking except he was doing it entirely off-road he went up the side of this bank and down the other side and landed on his wheels and um proceeded to the test track so yeah <laughs> so that was that that was black monday and and to this day there are people who are thinking we were racing each other and we went there were three completely separate accidents or one not quite accident that happened at exactly the same time so there you go that's black monday that's brilliant well i think that tells you everything you need to know about those three cars only one almost got around one did half the corner and one didn't even try yes there you go that's the, the <laughs> yeah that's that's everything you need to know about those cars okay right i'm going to tell a quick one now and then go i'll on. maybe tell another one afterward this first one I have to be a little, be a little bit careful I don't, i'm not going to give away who it was what the magazine was or what era okay am i allowed to but guess no, no, because I'll give it away and I don't think that's, I think it's, mm, don't know, I think it's a bit too recent. Um, it was a then new, brand new BMW M3 um, on one of those end of the year tests where you gather all the best cars of the year and, you know, spend which, 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 which generation? When, when, when are we well, talking about here? Well, that will give it away, but okay, I will so say it could be anything from an E30 was, to a... The car was notoriously spiky. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I know which one it was. <laughs> Um, and so we'd been shooting for a few days um, and then on the last day last few shots together um, most of us had disappeared we had had to be elsewhere but a small group of the staff were still there just gathering the last of the shots 
And it was the office junior who found himself in the M3. Um, and difficult roads, cold conditions, wet, spiky car. And he, he put it off the road fairly significantly, took out a telegraph pylon. Um, I think the car was probably a write-off or it was very, very... No, it wasn't a write-off, but it was very damaged. Um, and the issue I'm here if it, if it that, managed to take out a telegraph pylon and not write itself off, I, I think that says an awful uh, lot for BMW construction integrity. It, well, perhaps it does. Um, the, the issue here was that the lad was too young to be covered on BMW's insurance. Oh, okay. H- hence the cloak and dagger. Hence the cloak and dagger. The car was gotcha. uninsured. So what happened? Did they say somebody else was driving it? Nope. Nope. I think it was a fess-up job and... The, I think the car had to be repaired, um, which is, and that money came out of the, the magazine's editorial budget, which stung. Um, so that is about as big a catastrophe as I've ever known. Okay, it's not just a crashed car, but it's a, a crashed uninsured car. Yeah, it's a bit, that's a proper disaster, isn't it? That was, that was tricky. That was a dark day. Um, okay, and let me, I've got another one then. And, not all of these are going to be crashes, are they? But inevitably, some of them are. I think a lot of them are. <laughs> I, I, so I wrote a piece for the Intercooler recently about Drive Tribe. Um, we know it's folded. They're going to carry on on social media, aren't they? But the website, the app, they, they're closing down. Um, and it reminded me of the time that the magazine I worked for, coming up to 15 years ago now, closed down, Performance Car. Um, and so to write this story, I was leafing through a few back issues of the magazine and I was reminded uh, of an incident. Again, it was on another one of those end of year mega tests. <clears throat> the Aston Martin V12 Vantage was new. Uh, so this was late 2009. Um, the photographer wanted a, a skid shot on the road and there were no convenient corners. So our guy who was driving chose a junction quite an open junction but with enough space so it was doable i was there as the spotter so i had a radio to to the driver um, and he came around load of throttle and it car, the car went a long way sideways more or less onto the lock stops and then it came back and i as a joke i said the photographer wants you to go more sideways, please. <laughs> because it had gone so far sideways, it was just a, you know, a silly gag. Yeah. Second run, comes around again, more throttle, goes more sideways, except this time it doesn't come back. So it half spins, and it's got all this momentum, and it comes around the corner and noses its way into a ditch with a real thud, lands in a, in a ditch with a real thud. So it's at this 45-degree angle, no chance it's getting driven out. So we have to go and fetch one of the other cars, put a tow rope between that car and the real wishbone. Sorry, so, so, so to be clear, this accident was in fact entirely your fault? <laughs> no, I think the driver probably has to take responsibility. <laughs> Although maybe a little bit rest on my shoulders. But you just, so sorry, we, you we, just told him to go even more sideways <laughs> than the car was capable of going. As a joke, I well, thought that was clear. He, he appeared not to have taken it as such. <laughs> it does seem that way, doesn't it? Um, and so we dragged this thing out, and there's, a, there's cosmetic damage. I, th- I think they had a carbon fibre front splitter, didn't they? And that was all 
askew and you know little bits of trim missing but the car was drivable it was okay driver was shaken he makes the phone call to the Aston Martin press office explains apologizes says the car's still usable we're actually still assessing it so if you don't mind we'll hold on to it and we'll bring it back to you it's the damage isn't that bad Aston said fine the most important thing is that no one's hurt carry on the next day the car goes off the road again when someone went too quick over a humpback bridge I think and it just skated off the road it went so far into the undergrowth we had to get a farmer to drag it back on and I think I think we got away with it being only one incident but that was that was the incident of the twice crashed Aston Martin V12 Vantage two crashes in one car in a single test yeah I've got nothing that can rival that (laughs) I'm sure you have That's, that's absolutely extraordinary um well, I mean, I, I sort of started writing a list of all the cars I crashed. I, I just wonder whether how, how many I'm going to end up to because people will think that I just kind of don't know how to drive. Um, but over a career of... Okay, I haven't had... It's a really stupid thing to say because I've been something. Actually, where are we? January the 13th. So we're actually very close. Probably about a fortnight away. This is going to be such a stupid thing to say. So I'm going to touch my <laughs> touch for mica or whatever it is that pretends to be wood on my desk. Um it's about a fortnight away from 30 years since I had, well, okay, there was, there was, there was Black Monday, but that was Black Eyes. But, you know, I've only ever had one unforgivable accident on the public road. Um, and it was really significant and it was a really big accident. And it was actually, funny enough, on exactly the same road um, uh, that the Black Monday incident happened um, a bit earlier. So, um, yeah, but, you know, I've, I've only had one. But it was the first Evo Lancia delta integrale into the country and because i was autocars road test editor at the time it came to us first um and again funnily enough it was january um and again funnily enough the weather wasn't great this time the problem wasn't so much um ice as snow um and i thought integrale great fun so off i toddle off down that road make it further than i did in the metro um but there's a bit on that road where um it goes over a bridge and around a corner at the same time and in the dry it's absolutely cracking because you you know you set the car up you go over the bridge there's perfect visibility onto and off the bridge so there's no chance of you know coming across anything unexpected and you can really yeah you feel the car go light and it's a really challenging curve um in the snow not so much Uh, nobody told me that if you've got really cold water flowing underneath the bridge ice tends to form on top of it and the first i was aware uh, of this strange um, phenomenon of nature is when I've come off the bridge but I'm looking at the bridge so clearly I'm facing the bridge having already gone over it which means the ca- the only thing that can happen is the car's turned around through 180 degrees um, at which stage I am a complete passenger and the car goes off the road on the right hand side um, facing backwards it being a left hand drive car the B pillar hits the far side of the uh, of the ditch um, and bangs me on the head, which wasn't great. It then rotates itself along the along the ditch, knocking corners of itself as it does before spitting itself back onto the road. Um, and uh, I'm sitting in the car, thinking, "What the hell just happened?" I'm not aware of having hurt myself at all, um, and I guess I must have got out the other side um can't remember anyway i got out of the car um and i'm kind of wandering around in a daze um and there's no one around 
because um, presumably nobody's stupid enough to be driving in those conditions other than me. Um, but I see a house, so I wander up to it, knock on the door. Somebody answers it very kindly, lets me lose, use their telephone. No mobiles in those days, obviously. Um, and I call my editor, who I didn't particularly get on with, um, but he, and I thought he was basically going to fire me on the spot, but instead he sounded really concerned. Um, and he said to me, are you all right? I said, yeah, no, I'm fine. He said, no, I don't think you are. And I said, well, why? He said, you just don't sound right. Fair enough. Um, called the police. They weren't interested. I hadn't hit anyone else, damaged any property. So they just gave me the telephone number of a breakdown um, service. Bullet comes along, carts the car away, um, takes me to a train station. Um, and I get a train to London, by which stage I'm starting to feel really quite strange. So I front up to St. Mary's in Paddington. A&E, back in the days we could actually get through an A&E unit reasonably quickly, um, where they kind of look me over and prod me and they discover I've got a few brick and ribs, reasonably significant concussion. Um, thank you. For All of this from the B-pillar coming in. Um, so wow. the door hit me on the side and the B-pillar hit me on the head. Um, and that was that. So <laughs> Bloody hell. Um, yeah, but it would, I think it did Lancer even more damage than me because they stopped selling cars in the UK shortly after that. And it was literally, it was their first car um, of that kind. And they, you know, they weren't selling anything else by that stage. Um, and I destroyed it. Uh, and wow. they, they were such professionals. They, you know, like Aston Martin said, you, they, they said the only thing that matters is that mm. you're okay. And I was, eventually. Um, so, yeah, that was... Um, Bloody that hell! That. That's, that does sound like quite a significant impact. Yeah, it, it, it was a. The only funny thing about it is, um, <laughs> whenever people tell me the story of my own accident, to this day, the car's always on its roof in a field. It all car always ends up. And the irony is, literally, and I do mean this quite literally, the only panel on the car which wasn't damaged was the roof. <laughs> I did everything else. It's um, a shame, Lancia didn't so, send you the roof. Well, <laughs> uh, there, is, there, there is a photograph of it somewhere um but i'm not sure where and i'm not sure i'd want to see it even if um i could um but also so just <coughs> one more which is rather more recent this takes me back to i think 2010 and i only mentioned it from your uh your comment about just doing one more even more sideways skid uh you asked me on this podcast um a few months ago if i'd ever crashed 9 11 i was sure that i hadn't until i realized that i had um and this was the not so not the one that's just gone, but the previous GT2 RS from about 2010, 610 horsepower, spiky car. Talking of spiky cars, um, and that was absolutely classic. We were on some German Air Force base, um, and I was doing skids, um, which is okay. Um, you know, I do them if I have to. I don't particularly. You know, I'm not one of these skid merchants. I don't. You know, I'll do it if that's required, but I'm not someone who lives and breathes them. Um, and the, I, I thought I'd be, I was doing quite well, but I didn't want to do it anymore. And so I said to the photographer, I really don't, I'm done with this now. Um, you must have got the picture by now. And I can't remember who it was, actually. But he said, I'll oh, just do us one more. Okay, just and I know what that means in photographer speak. That means do 10 more and basically just keep doing it until I feel I've got what I want. So I thought, OK, I'll do one more and I'll, I'll do you one, which you, know, you cannot possibly say wasn't good enough. So I go in, bang it, you know, and it gets very, very large on me. And I suddenly realise this isn't coming back. And uh, I duly go off and nerf something. And, and, and I've always felt in sort of two minds about that accident because looking at the topography, if it had gone off any earlier, I would have 
not touched a thing. The car would have been completely undamaged. If it had gone off any later, I'd have destroyed it. Probably hurt myself because there was a big concrete parapet or something. I was going to, as it was, I kind of hit a bit of a grass bank. Um, and it didn't even really do, it, it did a tiny bit of damage, um, but the car was back out being used by other journalists later on the same day. Um, so, yeah, one more mm. skid. Okay. If I ever I hear a photographer say that to me, the answer is no. no. If you want to just say, I'll take the, I'll have the camera, you drive the car. I mean, it's, it's, it's a thing, isn't it? They just, and actually, it's, you know, it's something I know certainly that um, certain magazines that I work for now, um, they're increasingly and probably rightly risk averse to that sort of thing, particularly if you're doing it on public roads. Um, because, you know, the price of getting it wrong. I mean, we're, we're, we're all fairly careful, aren't we? We have spotters and we have radios. Um, so we kind of know there's not going to be anything coming the other way. Um, but, you know, shit happens, doesn't it? And, you know, and, and, and you don't want to be in the car on the public road when it does, because ultimately it's going to be, you know, your license, you know, your life, your whatever that's on the line. So, you know, if the circumstances are right, of course I'll do it. Uh, we all will, but, um, it's not something that I, uh, ever sort of seek out anymore no no it's always made me feel a bit uneasy um okay well yeah like you and again this is a heroically stupid thing to say so i'm touching all the bits of wood that are within reach of me right now i've um like you only had one serious one uh, in my car journalism career um although i'm i don't think it was my fault i think it was the other guy i mean uh BMW M135i, rear drive one, mid-Wales, on a fairly narrow hillside road. Actually, it looks narrow because there isn't a painted line, but it's wide enough for two cars. Um, and it's on a hillside, so there's a, you know, the hill continues on, on my right, and on the left there's a, a fairly substantial drop with one of those sort of un- unconvincing-looking barriers, a metal barrier running along it. Um, and I'm clipping along a little bit, not going bananas, um, and I come around this blind corner, and the instant I turn in, I know I'm going to have a crash because there's a car more or less in the middle of the road, way so much further over than it should be. Um, and I'd, I don't know if I had time to brake or to try. I think I try and steer around it, but I'm mindful that I'm up against the barrier and I don't particularly trust it. And so we, we collide quite hard. He comes in. It's an Astra, red Astra. He comes in and hits me just behind the the front wheel on my side just behind so he then runs down the back of my the side of my car airbags go off um car comes to a stop i've never been in an accident before so i it's a, a discombobulating thing a shocking thing isn't thing. it yeah and uh, it's noisy and of course the pyrotechnics that send the airbags off um they kind of create some smoke and so you're sat there, you know you've had a crash, and you see smoke. And your, your first thought is get out of the car. Just get out. Because you, you think it might be fire. Um, I get out, realise I'm totally unhurt. Um, I wander down to the other car. And the, the guy driving that is completely unhurt as well. Um, except when he gets out, I realise he's wearing a leg brace. Because he's clearly had a broken ankle at some point. Um, and I did check, and the car was an auto. So I think, mm, okay, that's probably not an issue. Um, Depends on his leg. Sort of, well, well, it was his left leg, so yeah, he could still drive. Um, and so I'm sort of checking that he's okay. He's a bit rattled. Um, and when I go back up to the car, I see the rear wheel is off 
totally oh, off. Oh, blimey. Um, and the slightly frightening part is that it's got one of those SOS systems, so in an accident, it automatically calls the yeah. emergency services. Um, and I'd been away from the car for a minute, maybe two, and I got back, and a woman on the line is still going, hello, hello, is anyone there? Can you hear me? Um, and I said, yes, 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 I'm, I'm here, sorry, I've, I've just got back to the car, I'm fine. Um, and it automatically calls a police car, so there's someone coming. And it occurred to me right then that that must be the most awful job being the you know, on the other end of the line, not getting yeah. any response at all. And you have yeah. no clue what's happened. Awful. And it must happen a lot. A lot, yeah. It was, that was really eye-opening. Um, the car was a write-off. BMW were very, very good about it. Yeah. I've got all the photos. And you can see on the road the point of impact. And you can see that we collided two-thirds yeah. of the way over on my side. Yeah. Um, and we were both unhurt. But it was just about... If it had been corner to corner, you know, if the fronts of our cars had collided, that co- probably would have been a different matter. As it was, it was a slightly more glancing blow. Um, and to this day, that's really the only accident I've ever had in this job or otherwise. Um, but the uh, totally unhurt. Car written off, I was totally unhurt. I'm just glad it happened in a modern, strong, well-built car. I had a, actually probably the most frightening accident I've had, also in a BMW press car on a country road. Um, and it was, fr- it, what was, fr- because in the Integrale, it just kind of happened. I was having great fun, fun one minute, uh, and I was sitting dazed in a wreck the next. I didn't really have time to be frightened or, or even aware of what was going on. This one was different though, <clears throat> because at the time of the accident, I was parked. So, again, I seem to have a lot of accidents in the early 90s. Um, this no, is probably mid-90s, actually. I'm in a BMW 540i, the first of the V8 5 Series. Lovely car. E34. Uh, late E34. And um, I'm driving down, I'm driving down uh, with my then, yeah, she would have still been my girlfriend, now, I, now my wife, um, to my brother's wedding, which is happening down in the West Country somewhere and nice car nice road nice day um i'm having a nice time uh and i've overtaken a few cars probably going quite fast but i, I don't think anything excessive in fact, i know nothing excessive because the missus wouldn't have put up with that anyway um we come round a curve onto a long straight road and we're on i don't know if it was an a road or a b road but it was a wide road with you know white line down the middle of it um normal country road long and straight and with plenty of passing places and so on i see another car at the end of it and it's so far away or i can't even tell what car it is but i can just see there's something not quite right with it and the closer it gets the more i realize what's not right with it is it's on my side of the road which is an interesting conundrum isn't it so you think to yourself well what do we do about this i mean clearly he's going to figure it out he's probably just you know daydreaming or looking at his map or whatever and he will look up and realize and but what if he doesn't well what if he doesn't well what you can do of course is you go on the wrong side of the road and you both pass each other in total safety both on the wrong side of the road uh the problem with that is if you're if you decide to take to the wrong side of the road at the same time he decides to take to his right side of the road you have an enormous accident the only difference being you're now the one on the wrong side of the road uh, and it's amazing how the brain works isn't it because you know this thought process isn't taking very long at all and i thought well okay 
I really don't know what to do about this, but I better slow down. And the more I slowed down, I thought, actually, I better just stop the car because I can't think of anything else to do. Um, and so I literally, I stopped the car and then I waited and I probably didn't wait for more than a couple of seconds, but it just felt like forever because, because there, there came a time when I suddenly realized this problem wasn't going to go away, that there was a, a presumably very substantial accident about to happen. There was nothing more I could do. I couldn't get out of the car. I couldn't, um, help my girlfriend. The car was parked. Literally, the mirror was in the hedge. It couldn't have been more you know, further over. And I, and we just sat there while this car piled into us at literally oh. undiminished speed. Um, and it was, it was utterly shocking. Um, this was in the days before. Well, I mean, the car that hit us was a Renault 5, which is probably what saved us. Um, and there were no skid marks or anything. He didn't even attempt to brake. Uh, he literally was straight, straight into us. And he was probably doing, I don't know, 30, 40 miles an hour, which is actually really quite fast. I mean, it's There's a lot of energy in a car at 30, A lot of energy, There's a lot yeah. of energy. The strange thing was, the airbags in the BMW didn't go off. And I don't know whether that was because it was not moving um, or whatever, but I mean, it was certainly a big enough impact because I don't think the BMW... In fact, it wasn't written off, um, but it was bonnet, radiator, grill, wings. It was a lot. But the Renault 5... <coughs> I mean, the shocking thing was um, the car pen knifed, so the roof was on the back seat. It literally folded in Oof. on itself. If there'd been oh. anybody in the, if there'd been anybody in the back, mm. they wouldn't have stood a chance. Luckily, happily, mercifully, um, there were two people in the front, um, but they were in the front. And neither of them was harmed. Although that wasn't evident at the time. Because when I mm. got to the car, um, there was a woman in her 40s in the passenger seat screaming. She didn't appear mm. to be damaged, but she was just screaming. And there was what turned out to be her father, who was in his 70s driving the car. Um, and he had the steering wheel in his chest. And mm. he was having trouble breathing because he had a steering wheel in his chest, not because he was particularly damaged. Um, but he was catatonic. He, he was just completely non-responsive. So I thought I was looking at a major, major bloody problem. Um, but actually, it was quite easy to get him out of the car. Um, she got herself out of the car, I think. And it was clear reasonably early on that, you know, they'd had a deliverance because neither of them was substantially hurt. Mm. Um, of course, by which stage... Some of these people who I'd overtaken have turned up on the scene and seen this enormous accident, and because and I'm they overtaken, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and well, well, I say they. Only one of them, but one of them said, um, "You've been driving like a maniac." Um, I've called the police. Um, well, I said, "Well, there's no need to because you know we've already done that." So there must have been mobile phones then. So it probably was mid nineties. Um, and I'm going to tell, tell, tell them what a lunatic you are. Fair enough. Um, so the police turn up and this bloke just launches into this diatribe at me and, and, and the policeman who was, he was a terrific bloke. He just turned around and said, did you witness the accident? And then, well, uh, no. So he said, well, what are you doing here? Um, and so that was the end of him. So that put him, and yeah, I mean, we had, I had some bruising from the seatbelt as did Louise. I think she had something else. 
can't remember but you know, neither of us was badly hurt um you know, totally superficial um and then you know later on the call came you know days later uh, when this poor chap was going to go to court uh, and would i testify against him and i just thought i just don't see the point you know if you're not going to learn your le- i mean he said when asked what caused the right he said it was entirely his fault and he'd just been thinking about something else at the time i suspect he was asleep um or was in the process of nodding off um but i didn't testify against it. i thought if you're not gonna learn your lesson you know by slamming into a five series and you know very nearly killing yourself you know i can't imagine there's any kind of you know fine or suspended sentence or anything else you might get when you're in your 70s which is gonna you know make an even bigger impact so i didn't and that was that but it was a uh, no i just remember i don't remember the actual crash so much but i do remember sitting there waiting for it to happen and just being terribly afraid because also your mind you know you don't think well actually i'm in a big heavy bmw and that's only a little renault 5 and it's not doing 70 or 80 it's probably in doing 30 or 40 and if i think about it actually hit one with the other you're probably going to be all right you haven't got time to rationalize like that. you're just sitting there parked thinking shit this car's coming towards us um mm. and it's not getting out of the way so that was yeah that's really frightening and it does make you think twice about those very small old hatchbacks doesn't it Yes, like the two GTI I used to own. Yes, all the yeah. two. <laughs> yes. Um, Crikey. But, yeah. Okay. Let's move away from the crashes then. Um, and this next one, it's, it's not a remarkable story, um, but I'm, I'm going to tell it because you were there. Um, was I? Do you, remember, do you remember when I got nicked on an AMG GT launch in Arizona? We were just poodling along in a line of traffic. Um, was I in the car with you? You were in the car with me. I overtook a string of cars. And as we went past it, we realised one was a police car. Yes, and I so do. I, I pull in front. He, he pops out, comes around, lights on. And bang to rights, aren't you? Um, he was actually reasonably pleasant about it. And that was a fine. Um, I can't remember how much. It probably stung a little bit, though. Um, and there was another time, this time in Nevada, in a state park. Um, you weren't there this time. And... One of those wardens, they are wardens, but I think they have guns. So they're, I'm not really sure, they must be police of a sort, but they, you know, they, they operate within the state park. Yeah, they're rangers, pretty I know sure. exactly, well, I've run up against them myself, I, yeah, I know yeah, exactly what you're talking about, yes. <laughs> um, and so I was, I think probably came around a corner and there's a speed gun, um, and then you get nicked by the next car down the road. Yeah. The issue was... So the, the warden slash bloke with gun walks up and says, uh, okay, ID. And I had nothing on me. We were based at the, at the racetrack um, outside Las Vegas. And so I'd left all my stuff there, my bag, everything there, because I was yeah. just hopping out to do a loop in this car, probably a 40-minute loop. So I didn't take anything. So I said, sorry, I don't have any ID. And he just he looked at me and said, oh, man, that's not good. And then he walked back to his car and he was there for 10 minutes. And I was just thinking, well, he's just said, that's not good. He's clearly phoning someone in. I'm spending the night in the nick, aren't I? He wandered back and he just said, off you go. And I thought, bloody hell, that was fortunate. Actually fortunate that I didn't take anything with me. If I had my ID, they would have just taken all my details, given me a fine, maybe worse. As it was. I just so why did he let you go? Do you, think, do you think the paperwork, it was just too much of an ass for him to I reckon to so. It? I reckon so. Just couldn't be bothered. Got lucky. Blimey. Blimey. Yeah, so uh, so, so interactions with the law. Um, well, I mean, you don't do this job for 
what have I been doing it for now? 33 years without having a few. So I am, okay, so yeah, this, okay, so this is one. The, um, when the Volkswagen Corrado came out, um, Autocar wanted one in the UK and our then European editor, our now wonderful esteemed contributor, Peter Robinson, was going to collect the car from Wolfsburg because uh, he lived in Northern Italy and he was going to, I guess he was going to fly into Hamburg or Hanover, collect the car from Wolfsburg um, and drive it to the UK. At the last moment, for reasons I don't remember, he couldn't do it. Um, and so uh, I thought, well, I better go and get it myself. So I decided to go there and back in a day. So I get the red eye out to Hamburg, I guess. Um, I Maybe someone picks me up, I can't remember, anyway. I go to the factory and get in the car, which is fine. And I am... <clears throat> driving it back through Belgium when a blacked out 325i E30 comes bombing up behind me um, looking like it wants to play so it sort of ducks behind me and then it pulls out well, we're on dual carriageway and then it shoots off into the distance I'm such an idiot I <laughs> rose to the bait <laughs> so off I go in my G60 Corrado at god knows what speed and go wanging past this three series, at which stage it puts on all its lights. Oh, that's so, entrapment. I mean, this isn't was it? the truest, absolutely purest case of entrapment you could ever come across. But um, yeah, so they pulled me over, and I'm sitting there thinking, like a complete idiot. Um, and we have a brief conversation, during the course of which it becomes apparent that I am driving a car, I'm an Englishman driving a car in Belgium that's registered in Germany that is only authorised for an Australian from Italy to be driving. <laughs> so as far as this bloke's concerned, I've, I've stolen the car. That's a very international because, crime. Yeah, there's, a, there's an awful lot of paperwork in this car saying that Peter Robinson from Italy is the only person who's authorised to drive this car. Um, and so they cart me off to the Nick. Um, and after a bit, it is established that I haven't nicked the car. But there's still this considerable matter of my speeding. Um, so I said, well, I just need to go to a cash point. Um, so they take me to a cash point, which gives me precisely no cash at all for reasons I simply don't understand. And it's still very early in the morning. Um, and they take me back to the police station. And I say, well, I can't pay this fine. And they say, well, you can't leave here until you do. Um, so I said, well, what do you advise? And they said, we advise you sort it out. So, I mean, you can imagine how helpful they were being. Um, and so the only thing I could think of doing was I did manage to beg from them the telephone number of a ta local taxi company. So I ordered myself a taxi uh, and said, you know, by the time the banks were open and said, take me into town, take me to the nearest big bank. Um, and then I want you to take me back again. Um, and only when I got to the bank did I announce to him that I had no money to pay. And if he didn't wait for me, then that was the, the only way he was going to get paid was to wait for me. And I went into the bank and I threw myself on their mercy and they rang up the Midland Bank or HSB or whatever it was at the time. Um, and I did have a, they must have given me my passport back because I was able to prove where I was. And on the strength of that, they gave me some money and, <coughs> excuse me. And uh, yeah, I paid the fine and on I went. But I mean, wow. what a performance and what a, <laughs> and what a way to get nicked. I mean, it was, just, it was yeah. bloody, I was outraged about that. 
Um, but I've never driven fast in Belgium since. And given the amount of no. time we all spent driving through Belgium, going to Spa and Nürburgring and everything else, um, yeah, I try to avoid it, really. Wow. Um, well, I'm out of stories. Oh, I'm not. I've given everything. <laughs> Do you want to crack on there? We, so we've done 40-odd minutes already. Um, okay. Do you want to rattle off a couple? So okay, I'll do one. Okay, I'll do I'll do one that I witnessed, um, which was the largest not accident I've ever seen. Which was we an auto car. We still do it to this day. We have a thing called well, we call it handling day, but out there it's known as Britain's Best Drivers Club. It's the usual sort of end of year get all the cars together, go around a racetrack, have some fun. Um, and that sort of thing. And this would have been 94, 95. We were at Goodwood and we had a Bugatti EB110 GT with us. Uh, first one of those into the country as well. And one of my road, syst- road testing colleagues, I probably shouldn't name it, even though he's not in the business anymore, decided to see if he could take Ford Water flat in this car. Now, if you know Goodwood, you'll know what undertaking that what an undertaking that is in pretty much anything. But in a 550 horsepower, three and a half litre quad turbo V12 mid-engine Bugatti, <laughs> it really was quite an undertaking because, you know, they didn't have sticky tyres back then. And there certainly wouldn't have been any safety systems or anything. Um, but he just had it. I think he must have just had it in his mind that Ford Water was flat and everything. Therefore, it would be flat in that too. Um and he turns in, he's actually also, he's got somebody in the car with him, which was, which was the one thing I did struggle with, because, you know, if you're going to be a complete lunatic on your own, that's one thing. But to do it with someone sitting next to you or something else. Anyway, um, he turns in and it all goes wrong. And um, up until that day, there was a long held Goodwood record, which had been held by John Surtees for the longest set of skid marks ever laid down at that track. And I think they went for about 220 yards. Um, and this was, and in fact, they'd been caused for exactly the same because somebody had said to him, Ford Waters flat, and he'd found out the hard way that it wasn't. We beat it. Or this bloke beat it. Um, <laughs> and literally the car went off the, but it didn't go off the circuit. The car spun and it literally spun down the track. And you could see the t- these huge tyres. You could just see the tyres just crisscrossing all the way down the track. And if you know Goodwood, uh, he basically went off before the apex of Ford Water and the car came to rest just before hitting the bank on the outside of the entry point to St. Mary's where Sterling Moss had his accident. Um, and he didn't hit a thing. Absolutely extraordinary That's luck. so fortunate. Didn't mean there wasn't an enormous bill because such were the forces involved that some of the side glass cracked. Um, Whoa. The, the the tires which were not cheap um were shot to pieces um they even managed somehow to ding a rim um possibly sort of going from when they left the track and onto the grass or whatever so he didn't actually come to a halt against anything hard but there was still a bill of the kind that you know little old autocar magazine um was not really in well i think we had to pay it in the end i can't remember but um yes um not, wow. our, not 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 the finest hour of the autocar road testing department. He he left the department shortly after that. Um, <laughs> you can he must have stepped out totally rattled to have actually not hit anything. But I think I'm just trying to remember. I, I don't think he was that contrite about it. I think he oh probably I think probably because he thought 
he was going to lose his job. Um, I think he probably thought he had to somehow, I don't even blame the machinery, but I think he had to sort of try and explain it, um, bring some kind of mitigation to it. Because if he just said, yeah, well, I wanted to go flat, discovered it wasn't quite flat, um, I think he would probably thought, oh, I'll be out my ear. So I think he just sort of went, well, you know, the car, I, don't, I can't remember what he said, but I, mean, I don't remember a great deal of contrition. Um, maybe, maybe I'm doing him a terrible disservice there, but um, wow. yeah. Yes. That's frightening. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, unless you want to give us anything else, we'll we'll leave that one there. No, I mean there there there, there, there are others. I mean there, there are a couple which I simply just can't I just can't own up to um, because they yeah. involve law breaking on the scale, which frankly I I, I am ashamed and um, could yet get me into trouble um, to this day. So um, yeah, you'll have to we'll we'll, we'll have to we'll have to, we'll have to do a drunk podcast. Okay, we'll have to both get completely <laughs> blasted. Okay, and 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 forget that we've ever done this podcast, and I've ever said those things, and just you know, do it all over again, and maybe they'll come out then. But until then, I'm afraid I'm going to keep um, a bit shum about that. Maybe that's an idea for episode 100. I could also do an entire podcast on cars I've crashed while not being a motoring journalist, i.e., when I'm I was sure a teenager. <laughs> I did I did four cars between passing my test and my 18th birthday. Wow, once a quarter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's um, impressive. Which was quite impressive, um, but maybe that's a story for another podcast. But yeah, we'll um, save those. I haven't. Yeah, I think I think if you're driving around a track doing skids for a for a camera and something goes wrong, then I think that comes under the category of fair enough. That's just kind of like a you know a professional inevitability. It will happen from time to time. Um, but I haven't. And again, I'm touching. Well, I haven't actually had an off that was my fault on a public road for thirty years. So. Hoping it will be at least that much time before I have before I have another one. Yeah, let's hope it stays that way. Uh, good. Okay. Well, we easily filled fifty minutes there with stories of motoring journalism going wrong. Um, that was quite fun. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there are more stories we can do at another time. Uh, I'm but sure there we are. will. We will leave that one there. Um, so thanks everyone for listening. Please rate and review the podcast. Go and download the Intercooler app and start your free trial. Um, and we'll be back to talk to you again next week look forward to it all the best Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.